I'm excited this morning. Who, who knows anything about archaeology? Who's interested in archaeology? Okay, who, who, who knows about Indiana Jones? Okay, so you all know about archaeology. So I've been doing a bit of digging. Not, not literal digging, this is, this is internet digging. Um, because I, I want to bring another message this morning uh, which brings the excitement of Christmas through our study of a Christmas carol. So this morning I've chosen Silent Night. And while I was researching this, I discovered some interesting things. I, I looked for the, for the roots and the history of this song. And I happened to find in my digging an original recording of Silent Night. And I think it was taken from the SIM card from the mobile phone of one of the shepherds who was actually there at the birth. It's a bit of a scratchy recording and I've only got a snippet of it. And because who, who knows, the, the, the song is called Silent Night. And it's not quite what you think. I'd like to present to you the real Silent Night. Unfortunately, that's all of the recording we could salvage. But, no, once was enough, I think. Um, but as you can see, the whole idea of a silent night is utterly ridiculous. Nobody who's ever attended a birth would ever say that they were silent, even before visiting ours. I mean, I've attended two, and they were not quiet affairs. <laughs> the nurses just talk a lot. And there's a lot of screaming and yell. Well, there was actually a lot of screaming next door, I remember, for the first one. Um, but we won't go into that. But the thing is, if you think about it, no baby is ever born on a silent night. And so you've got to wonder what the, the writer of this particular song was thinking when they actually wrote the whole idea of silent night in relationship to Jesus' birth. And, of course... As we noticed from that poor quality recording, the intrusion of the animal sounds in the uh, stable would have made it very difficult because you notice the, it, was, it was a, a true recording. There were no instruments. That was, it was just the voices of, um, I think, the, uh, the shepherds were called pentatonics. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's not silent. And it wasn't a particularly, it wasn't a different night that Jesus was, it was, I don't know what, it was a Monday night? or a Tuesday night, or any other day of the week, just like any other night. Joseph and Mary were an ordinary family, and they were stuck in a very ordinary barn on a very ordinary night. But the interesting thing is that the results of that night 
far from Auden. And the interesting thing is that, you know how I talked in the offering about the fact that be prepared is the motto of the, the scouts and that we should also be prepared. Who knows that the Jews were prepared? The coming of Jesus Christ was actually already known. The Son of God came as a baby. And it talks about that if we look at the first verse. It says, silent night, holy night, all is calm. Yeah, right. All is bright. Round yon virgin mother of child, holy infant, tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. And if we go back into the Old Testament, into the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, says almost exactly that. All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So they knew. This, this wasn't a random event. It's like, oh, a Messiah, what an interesting idea. Isaiah had foretold this 400 years beforehand. And a little later in Isaiah 9.6, the first line of that says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. So it's one thing, because who's ever thought things intellectually? Come on, George, you need to put your hand up when I say that. Come on, who else has thought about things intellectually without just trying to work things out rationally? Because some things need to be worked out rationally. Not many, but there are some. And so they knew the Messiah was coming because they'd read the prophecy. They thought, prophecy says a Messiah is coming. The prophet's accurate. Therefore, a Messiah is coming. And he's coming as a baby. Interesting point, but who cares? But until you're confronted with a baby. Who's ever been confronted with a baby? Who's Who's ever wondered... <laughs> Just remove that from the tape, will you? <laughs> Who has ever wondered, I should stop shortening my words, how this screaming little bundle of joy is going to turn out into a responsible adult? Having seen many responsible adults, I'm still wondering. But it's very hard to ascribe greatness to a small baby i mean you know parents are often the most surprised when their children actually turn out all right because early on they had their doubts whether they'd ever sleep through the night whether they'd ever be toilet trained whether they'd ever learn to speak read write do as they're told do as they're told do oh sorry stuck record and yet it happens adulthood who suddenly miraculously appears out of nowhere and you don't know your own children. Usually about this t- stage when you're enjoying it, they go and claim and leave home. You sort of think, I couldn't have had more of that. But that's another thing. So the Jews knew that the Messiah was coming and yet suddenly they're presented with a baby boy. They were prepared for a baby boy. But it's like, how could all that power, all that love, all that, Purity live in such a, a little form. How could the extraordinary be carried in something that's not only ordinary but really, really small? How could the sovereign Lord seem so simple and helpless? And they were, they were confronted with this. 
Because, you see, in that tiny little baby was born the world's greatest hero, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And, you know, he was tiny, little, little shoulders, little hands, you know how you see those little pinkies sort of wiggling? No, I'm not getting through, I can see. But he would, that tiny frame would bear the sins of the world. And he would establish his kingdom in every corner of the globe. And from the moment that he opened his eyes, the words of Isaiah 9-6 came into effect. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. That's a heck of a name to, to lumber a baby with. And so his life from the, his very first breath was marked with wisdom, power and majesty. Not words you associate with babies. It's usually but burping, barfing and the other things from the other end. But they were all waiting to be exercised at the right time. And so the second verse of the song, because these songs, you look at this, it's a simple song. It's got three verses. And you think any simpleton can write three verses of a song, especially if you can't get the, the whole scenery right and you call it Silent Night. I mean, what were, what were they thinking? But you notice the second verse of the, of the song takes us from the infant in the manger to the saviour of the world. To silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight, glory streaming from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Christ the Saviour is born. It takes us straight away from a little boy in a manger to Almighty God who has come with one purpose to save the world. I think the songwriter knew what they were doing. Because when they talk about silent night, I mean, it's a lullaby. It helps put people to sleep. That's why I only played you that little bit. I've got to maximise my attempts here. It's a lullaby about peace. And although it, it inspires us, especially parents, to think about the idea that there might have been at least one moment in our baby's lives where we had a bit of peace, where they slept for more than 15 minutes. They went for ages without crying, screaming or needing something and there was peace in our lives and there's all of that wrapped up in the song but if you think about it as the song progresses it's about the fact that not that Jesus as a baby was peaceful but he brought peace to this earth he brought, he brought peace for us in fact he bought peace for us he paid for it with his life and so it's not actually about that silent night. It's about the fact that we can have nights and days where we actually have peace and we are called to have peace. It doesn't actually mean that life is meant to be easy, but we're called to have peace. In fact, we have to be careful about the peace we have because sometimes we have peace over the wrong things. I've, have you got, you find me those... Only, only one eight. Wasn't okay. I've got a list here of. Whoops, I've lost it. What was it? Chrome? Yep. Oh, I think this might be it. Eight Christian phrases that aren't Christian at all. 
No, no, that's not the wrong. But we, we, oh, here we go. Nine unbiblical statements that Bible-loving Christians believe. That's probably the one. Who's a Bible-loving Christian here? Right, be prepared. Here we go. First one is God helps those who help themselves. Who's ever used that one? Right, I have. <laughs> Rubbish. The whole idea that if we help ourselves, God is, God is glorified is, is totally against the gospel. It's a gospel of grace. If we help ourselves, then we're saying God isn't necessary. Don't ever say that. The second one is God wants me to be happy. <laughs> I hope you've never said that. Happiness is not a destination in anybody's world and definitely not God's. I mean, the things I see on television about how people just want to be happy make me want to spit. Wanting to be happy is the stupidest goal you could ever have. Because if you're happy all the time, you've got to be on something and it's probably not good for you. Happiness is a side effect of actually being productive. Let's not get onto that one. We're all God's children. We're all potentially God's children. But his children are only the people who have accepted his son as their Lord and Savior. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Might be true, but it's not in the Bible. (laughs) Doesn't say that you have to be clean to be a Christian. Here's a good one, and I must confess I've actually used this one as well. God won't give you more than you can handle. If you think about it. It's a nice thing to say to someone, but it's totally, totally wrong. God's purpose in our lives is to give us things that we cannot handle so that we need him. We're actually called to do things that are impossible in human hands and only possible through God's hands. If he only gave us stuff that we could handle, he could go on holidays. So even though you might feel for somebody's pain, never tell them that God will never give them anything they can't handle. He will always give us things that we cannot handle. We all worship the same God. No, we don't. Yep. Bad things happen to good people. You think, well, well that, that's true. Good people is not a biblical thing. Who, who decides who's good and who's not? Santa Claus, yes. <laughs> Correct, yes. <laughs> so what that's actually saying is that good, bad things happen to people who are not on Santa's naughty list. But it's, we're not called to make a judgment about who's good and who's not. Christianity isn't actually about goodness. Um, when you die, God ga- gains another angel. Sorry, he doesn't. Angels are angels, humans are humans, and never the twain shall mix no matter what you've been watching on television. And we all go to the same place when we die. Sorry, not true. And we won't get into a discussion of what places are available for people, but let me tell you, there will be lots of gaps um, when we get to heaven. So all that to say that our peace, when, when we are at peace with ourselves, we've got to make sure we're at peace for the right reason, that we're not believing some hokey pokey that, Somebody's quoted, said, you know, God loves everyone and he will never give you more than you can handle and good things just happen to bad people and we're all going to the same place in the end and God will gain lots of angels. I mean, don't preach that at anybody on any level. And so 
Jesus actually came and he, the good news that he brought is this. Ephesians 2 verse 17 says, He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to the Jews who are near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Wow, that is amazing. See, we're not the same, but we have the same Holy Spirit. And we can come to God, no matter who we are, where we are, or what we are, through the same Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he was born, brought a stillness to our relationship with God. A relationship which before he was born was fraught with war, hatred, revolution, rebellion. All of these things were rife in the kingdom of God. And when Jesus came, he brought a stillness and a peace with him. And in fact, Matthew eleven twenty eight tells us how to come to Jesus. It says, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Who's ever been tired? Who's ever carried a heavy burden? See, we're, we're great candidates to come to God. And so we should. It says, I will give you rest. Now, it doesn't say, I will give you a holiday. Because it actually says, take my yoke upon you. Now, do you know what a yoke is? It's not something you find inside an egg. A yoke is actually something that you, um, with oxen, it's the thing that you put around their neck so they can pull a cart along. Um, The human equivalent would be that wooden bar you put across your shoulders to be able to carry a bucket of water in each, each hand. And so this, when you come to Jesus for rest, he gives you something to do. Some of us think, oh, that doesn't sound fair. He says, take that burden off you and take mine because my yoke is light, is easy to bear. He says, let me teach you because I know everything and I'm going to teach you everything you need to know because I'm the king and don't you forget it. No. He says, I am humble and gentle at heart. How many teachers do you know? How many people in authority do you know who come to teach you and proclaim before you that they're humble and gentle of heart? Most people come and say, you need to learn from me because I know stuff and you don't. They sit down, shut up and listen. Jesus comes and he says, hey, I'm humble. I'm gentle of heart. Learn from me and your life will change. Not because of what I know, but because of who I am. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Christians are not called to be lazy. We are called to carry a burden. But compared to the burdens of the world, it's easy. It's not the same thing as God giving you only what you can handle. But compared to the burdens the world will put on your life, it is an easy burden carry so with the good news of the gospel purchased by his blood and proven by his resurrection the lullaby in silent night is sung for us sin sick souls and our souls can be at peace with god the third verse reads silent night holy night son of god's love pure light Radiant beams from thy holy face 
with dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus Lord, thy birth. See, the thing we forget about Jesus' birth, as soon as Jesus was born, he ushered in a new era. We've been talking all year about the gospel of grace. This is the starting point. This is the build-up. I mean, it didn't come into effect until Jesus' death and resurrection. But here we have the seeds of grace being born with the dawn of redeeming grace. That's what we all sit under, redeeming grace. And so, very cleverly, the songwriter has drawn us out of a stable, mooning over a baby boy, to an understanding of the peace that we get. The silent night, if you like, is, is the silence and the peace in our souls because that baby boy rose up to be our saviour. He ushered in a dawn of grace which enabled our salvation. And the peace that the song talks about should be the peace that's in our heart. And it's not rest. I remember a story about a, an art competition where the brief was to draw a picture of peace. And uh, when the judges went through all the entrants to pick a winner, most of the pictures showed scenery of you know, peaceful things. You know, a meadow of wheat with soft breezes blowing through it. You know, a calm seashore with pebbles and shells and, and all this sort of thing. And they came across one picture which depicted a storm. And in this storm you could see the waves crashing against the cliffs and the wind blowing the trees over. And they were looking at this and puzzling and suddenly one of them looked and pointed into the middle of the picture. And in the middle of the picture is a, picture, a drawing of a, a bird's nest with a mother bird sitting on her eggs in a sheltered cove in the middle of it, totally unflustered and totally at peace. And that's the picture they gave the prize to. You see, peace isn't about serenity. It might be in the castle. But peace, the peace of God is not serenity. It's not a serene life where no, everything goes your way. Nothing goes wrong. If you've had that sort of life, please leave. Serenity is actually having a calm soul in the, in the midst of storms and troubles and, and the things that life tosses at you. And life will toss you. Life is a tosser. It will toss stuff at you. And what Jesus does for us is enable us not to be affected by the waves, the winds, the upsets of life. That is what the peace that Jesus brings actually is. If we accept Jesus, the mornings that we wake up are the mornings of peace. We are the children that this lullaby is sung to. Silent night, holy night, children of God sleep in peace. That's what we're called to do and that's what Jesus has done for us. Peace is something that happens when the world has gone poof around you. I'd love to use something more descriptive, but I feel restrained by several people. <laughs> but I, I just wanted, speaking of peace, I was, I was thinking about this and praying during the week, and, and, I, and I, certain people came on my mind. Could we move this out of the way? I want to pick on some people this morning. 
And when I say pick, I mean it in the nicest possible way. Uh, George and Carmen and Nathan, can you come out here, please? Gwenda? Barry? No, you guys can come and stand here. You can, you can face me because I like people looking at me because I'm humble and gentle. Now, I, I got two visions of peace for you guys. And one of them was a peace about what has happened. And I believe God wants you to lay some things to rest. He wants you to put some things to the sword that have troubled you. There are things that you're struggling with in the past that he says, hey, can you see those chains? Hack them off. But there's also, and that's only a small thing, I believe that you you can do that. God just wanted to remind you. Don't let them dwell in your minds. Don't let them make your hearts heavy. Get rid of them. But the most important thing is he said, you need peace for the future. You need peace for the future because things are going to happen which are going to disturb you. They're going to disturb your mind. And God says, renew your mind every day, not by the things of this world, but by my word. He says, if if you do that, the things that happen in your life are not going to disturb your mind, but your mind is going to rise rise above those. You are going to be able to see clearly where the people around you are not. They are going to look to you. But he said, do not lose your way by looking to the world for clarity. Look to the word of God. He says, your star will rise, not because you are great, but because you serve the great one. When you remember that, you will be thankful and grateful. Things are going to change. Things will be different. For you too, it's obvious. Somebody else is coming into your life which is going to take away your peace in a worldly sense. But it's also going to bring a great peace. But God says much the same as with George. It's easy to look at worldly things. It's easy to prepare physically, mentally and emotionally. But God says prepare spiritually because there is a peace coming. And the peace can be missed. Peace isn't something that waves a huge sign and says, here, pick me. Peace is actually a dedication you have to find. It hides in small places, requires ferreting out. It actually takes effort. Peace doesn't fall on you. Peace is found. And I believe God is saying to you, search for peace and you will find it. Ignore peace at your peril. Search for that peace, the peace that comes of knowing that God has your lives in his hands. The peace that comes of knowing no matter what life throws at you, God's plan is bigger, better, greater, fuller. Be in peace. Won't be peaceful, but you will have peace. Search for it. Your mind spins like a top. Round and round and God's saying, It's wearing you out. Take on my burden. 
is, you know, my yoke is like, take on his yoke. Let the yokes of the world fall away, take on his, and the world will change. Be encouraged. My love for you hasn't changed. Be encouraged. My purpose and my destiny for you is no different today than it was a year ago, before you were born. He sees the beginning, the end, and everything in the middle. He says, you are no less loved today. You are no less cared for and your future is no less in doubt than it was in the past. Rest in that. Your joy will return. In fact, it won't just return, it'll multiply. He said it's in the peace that that will multiply. Not in your efforts, not in your success even. Peace. You're the peace. I don't have anything for you. God just says you're a naughty little boy. (laughs) no I said that (laughs) God didn't say that at all but he said peace in the past is something that has been hard to find and you are somebody who has searched for the things of God but again a bit like George you've got a mind that can take over you're analytical you're judgmental with the things of God I mean, you might be judgmental about lots of things, but God's saying, you cannot judge the peace of God. And I, I, th- I think lately, you, you've found peace. There are things that have happened, your world is still in turmoil, but you've found peace and it's changed you from the inside. And God's saying, if you keep hold of that peace, the change will continue to happen. Don't look for the answers, look for the process. The answers aren't going to be what you understand, They aren't going to be what you're necessarily aiming for, but the answers will blow your mind if you stay in peace. Anne, can you come in? You guys can take a seat. That's what I was going to say. I believe that there's, God says you are protected. There is a hedge around you that bends arrows, snaps spears, stops things attacking you. But it's clear and you can see the things coming. And sometimes they frighten you. Sometimes they make you angry. Sometimes they make you want to turn and run. And God says, You need it to be clear so you can see your future. He says, lift your eyes and don't look at those things. He says, they will steal your peace. But he says, and it's millimetres. He says, lift your eyes more. He says, you're good at ignoring things. But it's not a question of ignoring things. It's actually believing they're not there. Because if we ignore things, it's it's like, you know, I can ignore that. But it's still there. And eventually, it will, I'm going to get slapped. Um. But God says, no, it's, it's a question of saying, okay, you've got to go one level above that. Say, okay, the world is not affecting me. My heart is still. My soul is still. God is in charge of my life. He says, things won't change instantly, but you're going to feel differently about every day. He says, your joy is going to be amazing to behold. Enjoy it.
The Bible talks about a peace that goes beyond our understanding. Now, to me, that's a very irritating statement. I like to understand things. In fact, if I don't understand things, often I, I struggle to believe them. And I think this is part of the journey that we go through. That God brings things into our life. And we know the thing that pleases God is faith. But the things that pleases us are working stuff out. Sometimes we actually have to abandon what we want to do and just take on board what God wants for us and step out in faith. Do things that are hard, not because they're difficult to do. I mean, who knows? There's a difference between things that are tough to do and things that are hard to do. Things that are tough usually involve sweat and muscle and planning and, and all of these things that we have to sort of get down and dirty with it. But hard things to do are things that we look at and think, well, I can't do that. And so we give up. We don't even start. We don't plan because we've thought it out of our mind. We've believed that it's, it's impossible. The hard thing for us to do is to say, well, yeah, it looks impossible, but I believe God's taking me there, so I'm going to do the impossible. And if you're like me, as soon as that thought enters your head, you go, no, that's ridiculous. Three steps back, thank you. No, okay, that's possible. Yep, that's good. I like it. I'll ignore that. Anybody ever done that? Just me. Okay. I'm a wuss. <laughs> but God is calling us to actually take the step into the impossible and trust him. And funnily enough, the impossible becomes insanely easy if it's through his strength and not ours. To actually take advantage of that, to, to take advantage of that peace, we actually, I mean, who knows that in wars, when they finish, the warring parties sign a peace treaty, which says they won't go to war anymore, if they're truthful about signing it. But we're also called to sign a treaty with God. If we want to take advantage of his peace, you know how I said that one of the things, eight things that Christians believe that aren't true is that we're all going to the same place and we all serve the same God? We don't. We actually have to take on an agreement with Jesus Christ to serve him. Now, the, the great thing about this agreement is, A, there's no fine print. In fact, there's no print. We actually just have to stand before him and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. Make me your child. And that's it. Then we get the peace of God. Then we sit under the grace of God. Now, I don't know everybody here this morning. I don't know what the condition of your heart is, whether you've signed a peace treaty with God or not. But I want to give Toby and all the other people an opportunity this morning, or perhaps not Toby then, to actually make that connection with God. So can I just get you to close your eyes for a moment? And if you're here and you have never actually stated that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and that you want to follow him, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I want to pray with you a prayer that says that, that invites Jesus into your heart to make you a child of God. 
And so if you want to do that this morning, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up so that I can see that hand. And when you've done that, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up and then I'm going to invite you to come out the front and we're going to pray a prayer together along with everybody else to invite Jesus into your heart. And we do that because we believe that Christianity isn't a private thing. We're not monks isolated from the world. We're actually a community that celebrates our relationship with Jesus Christ. So just quickly, while nobody's looking around, if you're here and you have never asked Jesus into your heart, never spoken words which bind you to him, can you just lift your hand so I can see it right now? And I'd love to pray with you. Is there anyone here who would like to do that? You may have done it before, but feel that you've walked away, that you need to reaffirm that relationship. If that's you, you can put your hand up and I'd love to pray that same prayer with you. Otherwise, could I get you to all open your eyes and all stand? I want us to actually reaffirm our faith. I want us all to pray that prayer. I believe that as we walk with Jesus, sometimes a good thing to remind ourselves what we've actually promised. Because I know nobody here would have ever forgotten a promise or reneged on one. But I think it's good just to lift our eyes to heaven and remind ourselves. So repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I accept you into my heart. You are my Lord as well as my Saviour. I am following you with all my heart for the rest of my days so that you can truly call me your child. Lord, I love you and I serve you. Amen.